What's it like working for a Nazi, Eddie? Huh? They pay you in dollars or Deutschmarks? Come on, Eddie. I'm paying you well. Does it matter who I work for? It matters to me. I may not make an honest buck, but I'm 100% American. And I don't work for no two-bit Nazi. I'm Griffin. I'm Molly. And we're going into the Superverse. And we're back with another episode. And this time we're diving into the 90s. Yes. Real left field choice. The Rocketeer from 1991. Slash 1938. Yep. (laughs) so this uh was another joe johnston production the director of captain america the first avenger coming 20 years prior before the mcu was even a twinkle in kevin feige's eye do you think that he's a nazi no come come again i don't know he just now we're we're threading similar territory it is true he seems to have an affinity for period movies where nazis are the villain and um, someone's flying a plane you know he's a got lot a, of similarities he's got a specific set and i actually loves a went, helmet i should have looked this up before and i know we talked about it at least when we watched captain america just like what this guy's career was um i'm pretty sure chris evans wore that leather jacket just not in the that 40s. actually looks a lot like um, Bucky's jacket. I was gonna say it looks the like cro- the jacket it wasn't leather, he wears but... like in modern day, like on his motorcycle. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this guy also directed *Honey, I Shrunk the Kids*, which would have been two years before *The Rocketeer*. *Jumanji* a couple years after that. *Jurassic Park* three a couple years after that. So, you know, when... you can tell what kind of like director he was, which makes it like kind of strange that they picked him up for *Captain America*. This when was probably was why, Jumanji? Though. 95. Okay. Yeah. I really had to set my mind to what we were dealing with in 1991 in terms of the effects of this movie mm-hmm. because it was so bad. I honestly am going to say the actual jetpack flying, it wasn't as bad as I expected. And there were a lot of good, like, explosions and practical effects for the jetpack. Like, when it flies across stuff and it's setting everything on fire. And when he's flying over the dining room tables and, like, glasses are flying everywhere. I just feel like the effects from this could have been from, like, the 60s. You kind of got to wonder if it was kind of on purpose. I did wonder that. I did wonder, was this purposely bad? Was the acting purposely bad? (laughs) What was happening? What was the direction? (laughs) It was all over the place. But I obviously, well, not obviously for the listeners of the podcast, I liked this a lot more than you did. Yeah, I didn't love it. This movie ended and Molly's like, I didn't like it. So I was like, it's really long. The pacing definitely languished, but I I really liked the end, so I'm going to give it a pass. Here's a bit of information on the development of this movie. Uh, It started being worked on in 1983 when the creator of the character sold the film rights. Um, There were multiple directors that considered signing on. 
the original screenwriters had creative differences, so it was just kind of sitting in development hell for years. Um, the CEO of Disney was involved. He wanted a different type of helmet for him, and then Joe Johnston was like, no, we're keeping the original helmet. Um, so it seemed like they had a difficult time getting it made, but the visual effects were designed by Industrial Light and Magic, which is George Lucas's visual effects company. So, Star Wars had better visual effects. It did. Well, Superman Returns had better effects. Yeah, Superman. Wait, well, no. both. Hold on, not Super Superman Returns, because that's we're talking two thousands. You mean like the Christopher Reeve? Super, so yeah, Superman one and two. Maybe Superman two. Superman one. Yes, but those were fun. in the. I know. I know. They have a bit more of an excuse. Um. Like, I need context for another movie that came out in 1991. Like, you brought up Jumanji, which had way better... Like, I can rewatch Jumanji and not be distracted by any of the effects. Like, I think it all works. Do you think if you grew up watching this, though, you'd give it more of a pass? Well, that's why I was thinking, like, movies that came out around the same time, because I've seen other movies that were, like that came out and I'm like, oh, I know when this came out. Like, I know kind of what to expect. Yeah. And I feel like this is way worse than, like, Jumanji. I'm trying to find something similar. Well, Terminator 2 came out in 1991. And that, seen it. that holds up, in my opinion. Um, but in terms of, like, just something like this, Point Break. <laughs> that doesn't seem fair, because I don't think they CGI'd anything in Point Break. Well... I, so I'll just start by saying my first note was Griffin and I were sitting here wondering what year this movie was happening in because we knew it was 1991 and we had kind of read the description but had promptly forgotten that it was taking place during like World War Two, But it like normally when, a when it's a period piece, they kind of film it to look like a period piece. But this looked like a a backlot and like like a fake movie within a movie to be like, this is the movie from the 1930s. Like, I have a note later when we get to it, I'll probably say it again, but it felt like a Coen Brothers movie where they were like, this is the movie we're making within like Hail the Caesar? movie. Like Hail Caesar? Yes, it, exactly. This felt like Hail Caesar, but this was the movie <laughs> that they were making. That's funny. Like, it felt purposely like not... Like a period piece. I mean, I think all it really is, I just don't think the budget was very high. I guess. And I think that's, I don't It's like think Disney, it was necessarily though. intentional. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I just, I just didn't come off like. And I'm sure I'm being like too critical for like what this movie is. I'm also like, what was the audience? I guess it's like a family movie. I think this is just, all, Hook came out in 1991, by the way. Um. Yeah, I, I mean, I think this is just from that time when you don't see, like, family movies so much anymore. I loved Hook. That was yeah. a family movie. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, this was in, like, the prime time for movies like that. Like, they're fun, like, action-y, but not too violent. It's got, like, a little something for everybody. Um, there's a Letterboxd review that says it's a theme park of late 30s art deco and neo-retro charm of something that isn't quite period piece, yeah. but an amalgamation of the time it was made and an anachronistic World War II. 
Yeah, it felt like a... I, it felt like what it was, I guess, like a 90s version of a 30s yeah. movie. Like they weren't really trying to like, you know, make it into like go full, really lean into the period piece thing. I think it was like a, it's a 90s Disney movie that happens to be set in the 30s. Because like, when did Forrest Gump come out? Because that feels like a period piece movie. And obviously that's a very different movie. Like they're, they have a very different audience. 1994. But, but yeah, like that one is like... I know that this movie is not taking place in 1994. Right, right. I think it must have just been like they, Joe Johnston didn't decide to be like, all right, we're taking this really seriously as being set in 1938. Like, get everything down to a T. I guess they were just trying to have some fun with it. And it does feel like, it feels unique. I'll give it that. Like, whether, you know, whether it worked or not, that's up in the air. But I, I liked I liked the vibe. Overall, I liked the vibe. It felt very, like, charming, like, small town kind of. I liked the diner with Margot Martindale. I don't know how to say this lovingly, but <laughs> there is a movie that came out in the early 2000s, and it had Rupert Grant, a.k.a. Ron Weasley, and he and his best friend create a machine that can go to space powered by his best friend's farts. And that is the vibe that I got from this movie. <laughs> Tell me more about that. I think I've said enough. <laughs> it's never, it's never going to be enough because now I have to go and look that up. This is like post Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Like Rupert Grant was already cast as Ron and he was like, you know what I'm going to do on my summer off? I'm going to make this farting movie. Ah, uh, Thunderpants. Yes. Well, Okay. I wouldn't know. Miss that one. When I, I was, I watched that with the kids I babysat. <laughs> they like rented it from. I have never heard of that. Well, it was, was not a critically acclaimed film. Missed that back in, back in 02. No, I was busy. I don't, I mean, I don't know how this movie was received because I watched a lot of early 90s movies on TV, including ones we've already mentioned, like Hook and Jumanji. I've never seen this even pop up on the uh, on that circuit, I guess. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So like Goonies. It did. It was a commercial disappointment in the U.S. box office. Um, it earned nine point six million dollars in its opening weekend, and the president of Disney's Buena Vista Distribution Unit said they were pleased with the way it's performed, since it's not a sequel and it has no big time stars. It opened in number four, and number one at that time was the Kevin Costner Robin Hood Prince of Thieves. So, you know, tough competition. Yeah, I don't, it didn't, it didn't do well, but critically, it did decently. The, I f find it funny that, you know, there's all these retroactive Rotten Tomatoes scores, but it has a 66% on Rotten Tomatoes. So that's kind of what I would have, I was actually going to say that this was like, not that we ever rank our movies, but because we were talking about like the quality, I would have given it like a solid like 6.5 out of 10. Like I'm never going to want to be like, I want to watch this again, but I enjoyed it well enough. I liked the plots with the rocket yeah. and all of that. The female character and the plots with that were utter garbage, and I really hated all of that. <laughs> yeah, not so good. Did not want her to be with him in the end. No. She deserved better. Yeah, Cliff. 
Well, you want to start from the top? Sure. So I would say the start of this movie is definitely where it shines. We go, we meet like all these, all these lads at the runway and the hangars and they've got their little crew and they're trying really hard to get into nationals. And at first I was like, nationals for what? Like, what are you doing? I still don't know. I guess they were like racing. That's what I was gathering. Cause they said the guy, when the guy goes up in the clown costume, he's like, if he, what's the rest of that bit? Also, no payoff. Uh, they said something about race lanes. So I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. okay. They're having a plane race, which is a pretty niche thing to be into in the thirties. I feel like, um, and I enjoyed the car chase with the real, like classic FBI G men and the gangsters. I liked the, I like the gangsters. They just really leaned into it. Um, I still don't know why the guy shot the plane. That was a real dick move. Yeah. Not cool. Like he was not involved. I didn't, I don't know why he was flying directly over them either. I mean, yeah, there's a lot there of other places to decisions <laughs> being made all around. I mean, I'm not surprised on any account, but still. Um, and then we, you know, we find out about this jetpack. And first of all, I think more jetpacks should be made with art deco design in mind. Very stylish. Very stylish. You could see somebody in a alternate past New York City flying those around. And I thought it was a fun little Easter egg that Howard Hughes was the one that designed it. Because I saw, like, in the background, they had, like, the Hughes aircraft stuff, and I was like, oh, you know, it didn't click. Um, I was telling Molly when we were watching, he was, like, an eccentric businessman, pilot, engineer guy, uh, and he was like a big recluse and had major OCD that got worse over time. He was in a near fatal plane crash, which I didn't know. Iconic. He he had a pretty crazy life. He was very likable in this movie. For sure. You know who he he reminded me of partially and I was also like he would fit in perfectly was a Howard Stark. Yeah, kind of. Um he just seemed like your older uncle that was like, well, we'll see how this goes. Like, I'll fund this venture <laughs> yeah. for you. Oh, sorry. He's a little bit more laid back. Than yeah. Stark. Yeah. Um, Howard Hughes also produced movies back in the 30s, which I find entertaining. Oh, that's Big fun. budget and often controversial films. He produced the original Scarface. Um, I mean, that's my favorite part of this movie is the intersection of the New York gangsters that have been displaced to LA, the Hollywood starlet, the Nazis and the FBI. Oh yeah. Um, that, that part was all very enjoyable to me. I loved Timothy Dalton, our oh my favorite God. James Bond. He was probably the best part of this movie. Yes. I mean, we see him and he's in his weird ass house. Also, how long Jam after this, because he had just played James Bond, and then he was like, you know what I'm going to do after this? <laughs> he must have done, well, this was in between them. No, no hold on. No, because Pierce Brosnan was taking over. Yeah, but I don't know when um, License to Kill came out. I think, 
He looks a lot been, like, older. Not a lot, but he looked older than he did in. Yeah. Oh, well, now I gotta see. I thought that was, like, the early 80s. Um, well, Living Daylights, which was the first one he did, came out in, like, 87, I think. Oh. Okay, License to Kill was two years before this. Okay. So, but you're right. He's like, you know what? Let me, uh, because, you know, his Bond had that edge to it, so I guess he decided to maybe lean into that a bit. He's like, give me this little mustache and give me a fencing sword. What an, what an intro. It reminds me of, like, a Friends episode where, like, I think Joey is, like, playing against this, like, famous, like, movie star. And yeah, who is that? I know what you're talking about. Well, the person that plays him is, um... Oh, God. It's, like, Gary Oldman, I think, in the episode. But he's supposed to be playing, like... A stage actor, and he they like spit in each other's faces a bunch, and then he like gets really drunk the next day and like can't yeah uh, get through the the shoot. Yeah, it is. It is Gary Oldman, right? That, uh, but that, that, that so felt like this as well <laughs> as the yeah the Hail Caesar, but and the well like later on when they're like actually on the movie set, the movie that they're filming, I was like, I'm getting Princess Bride from this. Oh yeah. Like, but that hadn't come out yet. I had, yeah. Wait, I had, wait, wait, hold on. Wait, I, I thought it up. did. Yeah, I looked it up and it did. So, yeah, uh, yeah I was getting total <laughs> Princess Bride vibes from that. For sure. I had a note that was like, he's just playing in Nigo Montoya. <laughs> I enjoyed that. And I liked the the whole thing with that, the other uh, actress, like, totally failing to deliver that line. But like, then she did it wonderfully. I was like, where did, did this energy she really come turned from? It and then Cliff fucked the whole thing up. To close set cliff. You I know mean, what a closed set means. No one was doing a good job of making sure he was staying out. If you found a rocket, I'm going to go back to where we were at the beginning of the movie. If you found a rocket, would your first thought be, I know how we'll make money off of this. We'll have people pay to see me fly this rocket. It's very business minded. But like a bad business. I feel like there are way better things that you could make money off of Look, using man, a rocket. They just, they just came off the depression. They're desperate. They're not thinking straight. But uh, yeah, no, that would not be my first thought. I also wouldn't try to fly it because it definitely would have given the back of the mannequin third degree burns all over its thighs. Like, there's no way. I would not get within 10 feet of that thing while it was on. No. <laughs> Very cavalier. They're like, it's not even hot. <laughs> I like that they do like explain that. I was like, I yeah, mean, it's a thirties jetpack. You don't. <laughs> I don't really care about the logistics. Even a jetpack today, I would be like, I would need an explanation. Yeah, the only acceptable jetpack is the ones that use water or air. You know, let's not let's not have fire blasting anywhere. That's another movie that does effects well for when it was made, Back to the Future. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, I just think um, even though ILM did the effects for this, I just don't think it was just not gunning in the same league. Maybe they were busy with something else and this got the back burner. And I think there is something to it. Like, well, because it's a period, we don't, I don't know. Yeah. 
This is how little they cared about Jennifer's character. They were like, well, your name as the actress is Jennifer, so we'll just Jenny. stick with that. <laughs> I'm wondering, um, I was going to look because, you know, we're doing this on Into the Superverse because this character of the Rocketeer is based on a character that was created in the 80s as an homage to characters from the 30s through the 50s. So a lot of layers here. And I could not tell you if there is like any kind of faithfulness to the original stories of this. I'm guessing there is because I think Joe Johnston cared about it. But I'm curious. I'm going to look into it. I want to see if there was a Jenny. Well, Jennifer, a.k.a. Jenny is the character that actually looks like they're playing in a period piece from the 30s. Yes. She was spot on. Had a very classic kind of um, Grace Kelly look yeah. or something along those lines. On point. Honestly, like the... And I thought she did a wonderful job. Oh, yeah. Oh, she was fantastic. I'm not gonna. I'm not speaking to the main guy's acting, but... It was not good. I feel like I could also see him, like... In, like, that era. Like, not necessarily 90s. But then again, he's just, like, a white dude, so... He reminded me of Billy Zane from Titanic. Like, I was like, he's the bad guy oh, in this no. movie. He had way too much under eyeliner on. <laughs> and I was like, this dude's bad. He's mean to the landlord lady. He's disrespectful. He never apologizes. Never even says I love you, which is what his instructions were from the other best character. Yeah, she says it to him. I'm like, don't let him off yeah. the hook. Don't let him off the hook. Huh. Cliff. Yeah, I got a lot to say to Cliff. Uh, but also speaking of the actor, uh, whose name I have just forgotten. Um, Alan Arkin? No, the Cliff actor. He oh. is reprising his role in the animated series which you saw when we were pulling this up on Disney Plus. There's like a Rocketeer cartoon from Oh, so they last are connected. Year. Yeah. Interesting. Cuz I just saw on like the Wikipedia page that at some point like 10 years ago Disney was considering doing a remake of this. So uh, that would be fun. Yeah. I think. I actually would yeah, this would make for a good remake. I would do it in, like, the style of Shazam. Yeah. I think they could... Well, like, whatever that style is. Because Shazam was, like, a family movie. Yeah. For the most part. <laughs> there was that part where, like, uh, Mark Strong kills all those guys, and that's pretty violent, but... You know, kids are... But that fits with 90s family movies always have something, like, weirdly violent. Like, so did this. When that guy's in the hospital... Oh, I thought you meant like the near rape scene. That too. With the chloroform. The chloroform. That seems like a real like throwback plot device too. Everybody just had chloroform and a bunch of rags laying around. I mean that their plot was a James Bond plot. Like oh she for was, sure. But he this time he was the Bond villain. Yeah, he's he's so skeezy. I'm like I hate this guy. Well, so. The description on Disney Plus is like so-and-so-and-so-and-so, but it's led by a Hollywood screen star who's a secret Nazi spy. Which We're at the end of the movie. We don't find that out until like an hour and a half in. I mean, this is not, like, I don't know if when this came out, like if that was common knowledge or what, but I could have gone this whole movie and never suspected that he was a fucking Nazi. No, because it was all about the 
New York displaced gangsters in LA. It would have been such a good twist. I mean, and it, it was a fun twist, even though we knew it was going to happen. Um, but yeah, the the hospital scene, one, that guy's a very deep sleeper. <laughs> yes. And I like the methods of, let me light a ma- match, put it in the face, <laughs> blow it out, and then just... Start <laughs> hitting his foot, and then he barely reacts to that man is, in his face. He is very calm, <laughs> which I thought I was really on to something. And for again, about an hour and a half of the movie, my personal fan theory was that was Timothy Dalton in his greatest acting role. Was like that's his like alter ego, and he like gets away with killing people by like putting all those all those prosthetics because I thought it was like a plot device that it was prosthetics because he like even fixes his nose at one point and I was like oh I know what they're doing here and then like they were in the same room together and I was like oh that's disappointing that would have been so good my plot was way better <laughs> it was so good I'm just looking up this guy's face because he was like he I have a plan like don't worry about that like I'm not gonna go in as Neville Longbottom or whatever. Yeah. Neville Sinclair. I thought you were going to correct that. Sorry. No, I just like got... It's like Tiny something. Tiny John or something like that. Okay. Yeah. So Tiny Ron Taylor. He was wearing prosthetics to simulate the look of this guy who was an actor who had like a facial disfigurement, but apparently like used that and he kind of carved out as a career as like a villain in B movies because he looked creepy, which is sad for him. But that is like a very like deep cut, like intentional thing. Didn't even have that in my trivia section. Now, you know, also at the movie set, Someone got stabbed and Cliff <laughs> is responsible and no one is concerned. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like that was the... Cliff, you're an asshole. Like you didn't even ask if anyone was okay. You just wanted to tell your girlfriend that you have a rocket and not apologize for your behavior. Like, hey, cool movie. Sorry, I ruined it. Uh, I found a jetpack. Yeah, and that was like, you're letting the secret Nazi be the good guy? Like, come on, man. Well, like, I wouldn't even have a problem with the utter sexism of this movie if it was like, this is a 1930s dynamic between a man and a woman. But that's not even what it was. Like, he wasn't treating her like that. But he was still treating her very badly. And I was like... This is the 90s. What are we doing? Yeah, he really never redeemed himself, unfortunately. Yeah, so then we get the whole thing with uh, Sinclair invites her to dinner at this club. And I'm like, where? Like, I, I know it's like they're in like Hollywood. But whenever we are at like the runway thing, I'm like, how far away are we from Hollywood? Because this feels like a completely different area. But I guess it is believable that back in that time you could, you know, go not so far out of town and it would be like that. Yeah. 
I noticed that they had uh, the Hollywood Land sign in the background, which was period appropriate before they took the land off. Um, wow, good job. And I did not know, but that was originally a sign for a real estate development. They wow. put up in the 20s, and then when Hollywood like took off, they just decided to keep it. How fortuitous. Right? Yeah, that real estate company. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I know I'm harping, but, like, I feel like her being, like, maybe we could go to dinner, not where we always go, where you know all of these people and they're eavesdropping on our conversation and spilling soup on me. And they're, like, saying shit, and you're not even, like, responding. You're just sitting there silently. Yeah, like, very low bar to clear. Just, like, care. Don't be a dick about her getting small parts in movies. And, I mean, I guess that he, like, doesn't have really any money, but, like... Yeah. You could just go anywhere else at this point, I think. Yeah, just a change of pace. Not even necessarily, like, a big step up. Like, obviously not that not that club, um, but not, and, not the diner. And nothing against Mags. No, nothing against her, except she needed to be in this more... We got the like the first cut to her, and I was like, "Hmm." I was like, "That that's not right, is it?" Oh, okay. So we know her from a lot of things, from a little show called Justified. Yeah. Um, which no one has seen. Um, Fix that if you haven't. And she's in the Americans. Yeah. And some other things, but like, I felt like she was not good in this. I was like, "This is the worst acting I've ever seen from her," and she's an amazing actress. I think I was like, what is happening? I didn't even like notice if her act, she had like three lines, I feel like. And that's probably why they probably just didn't give her anything. It felt like, like the girl in the movie, like I'm just giving my line right now. Man. Like, I I think I was just disappointed because I was so excited to see her and I was like, oh, we're going to get some good stuff. And like, she was good when like the fake FBI came yeah. in, but I mean, I, I, couldn't, like, I couldn't tell you anything about her before. I was just happy that she was there. It was like the part where like they're in there for dinner and she's like, you know, playing along with what's his name. Yeah. Yeah. I, I couldn't tell you, but yeah, yeah I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I know I'm like I, nitpicking, but I was like, I was just disappointed. Well, they also clearly didn't know, like, who they had. Because <laughs> I feel like if, you know, they could have given her, like, way more material. Alas. She just kind of got relegated to the little diner crew. Which I did, like, and I was sad when they destroyed the diner. Yeah, but then they went back later and it seemed fine. I guess they they found some money to fix it. So, all good. No, but I it, meant, like, that night. Oh, like with the and that's oh. where the FBI caught them. Yeah, I don't know. And maybe you want diner food. That's the only <laughs> takeaway that I have. Um, we also get the tiny, tiny Ron coming into their house. And yeah, then like the FBI surrounding them, and then no one's at the back door. I guess the FBI agents in this are. Not not so hot. I wasn't sure who, if they were part of the bad guys for, like, most of the movie. Because <laughs> they're so bad at their jobs, they well, seem... Well, yeah, and they're mean. Yeah, well, you know, they probably they probably actually were. I just kept thinking, every time I saw them on screen, I was like, 
because we we watched uh, L.A. Confidential <laughs> not too long ago. I was like, yeah, those guys are dicks. These guys are dicks. A cab. A cab. <laughs> what did they call it, the FBI back in the oh Pinkertons? Are they Pinkertons? A pab also. Um. Yeah, I, I always I feel like I've seen it a couple of things like the and I know it's like a real thing. They turn on the lights and it like you know lights up the inside of the house. But I appreciated that Tiny Ron did not even hesitate. He just pulled out his two guns and just started blasting. Yeah, and, and I was <laughs> like, wow, Timothy Dalton doesn't give a fuck <laughs> nope. if he gets killed. And then I was like, how's he going to make it back for his date? And I was like, they must run a little time jump. <laughs> uh, this, this theory was so close to working out. So close. I mean, honestly, that genuinely would have been a very good like extra twist. As if the Nazi thing wasn't enough. Yeah, like all of his prosthetics could have been in that secret room. Yeah. Yeah, the line that, um, I don't know where you are. I'm at them at the restaurant. Yeah, we can go there. If anything were to happen to you, I would just go crazy. Oh, okay, let's make out then. Like, I'm sorry, that line just, is not making me want to get back with you. Just, oh, all right. Look, standards are low. Standards are low. I mean, she doesn't know that he's a Nazi yet, but she's like on a very nice date right now. Like, yeah. no part of me would want to be hanging out with Cliff. I guess you don't really get the the bad vibes aren't really aren't really there to a to someone that hadn't seen him meeting with the gangsters earlier. Yeah, I mean, I think you would get his bad vibe being on set with him. Like, he's a bad look. Yeah, but. I'm just saying he was being his charismatic self on the date. Indubitably. I'm also wondering if like the movie that he was in, uh, when you go on like Timothy Dalton's IMDb page, it talks about him being one of the last of a breed of classically trained actors who were like, did like a lot of Shakespeare and swashbuckling movies. So I wonder, like, if they had this part and then they're like, you know what? Like, we could actually get this guy. <laughs> that is, like, not true, though. There are so many current actors that are, like, from that background. I think like his publicist probably just wrote that. <laughs> like, Hopper is from that background. I know that we just, like, watched his Hot Ones, but I already forgot about that because I think he talked about it. And, like, Ethan Hawke and, like, people like that. It's easier to imagine when they're British. <laughs> Is Ethan Hawke British? No, I don't know. I was just saying for, for Timothy Dalton. He has, like, that gravitas. I, I Yeah. And now he's uh, doing a comic book show. So if we ever get around to watching Doom Patrol, we'll get some more Timothy Dalton. Glad to see him doing well. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we we get this whole scene with Cliff showing up at the the club, and there's a big fight that breaks out, and the uh, you know the problem with just flying around in a jetpack is something as simple as a net really just stops in your tracks. I don't know why there's a net in that ballroom. I guess it's supposed to be like nautical themed. Oh yeah. So if it was like right. up suspended. I just kept getting distracted scene. by those women like swimming 
Did you notice that? No. I was, was like, distracted by the singer that was like doing... They did a lot <laughs> close-up on her face. And it was, was like weird stuff. I, that's what I was thinking. But I was like, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, no. I kept noticing like they had the scene where they're like in the like private room in the back. And then like later, there's just like a like a tank of water with this like woman swimming. And I was like, um... That is so James Bond. Is that a mermaid? Like... <laughs> That is the most, like, James Bond villain thing I've ever heard. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there were, like, five different movies going on. One of them, I felt like, was with Ed. Eddie was in his own movie. And to me, it felt like they were making some sort of nod to The Godfather because he always looked like he just got pulled out of a wedding. <laughs> and I was waiting for him to say, like, you're bothering me today? On the day of my daughter's wedding. Like, he always had, like, a boutonniere on. And I was like, yeah, what is happening? Because uh, in the beginning, like, Timothy Don even, like, nicks one of the guy's boutonnieres off. Or was it, was it Eddie's, right? Okay. And I'm like, what wedding did they come from? Or is this, like, a funeral thing? Because that's been in other movies we've seen where they get guys out of prison for funerals. It's every gangster trope just rolled into one. So, like, those parts I liked that they did it, and I felt like they were corny in a good way, but yeah. it just didn't feel cohesive with the whole movie. No. There's a, yeah, and then there's there was, like, genuinely on. bad stuff. Yeah. In my opinion. Like? Like, most of the Jenny oh, stuff. Oh, okay. I, I don't know if you meant, like, more than that. Or the, uh, well, the, there was some, the, like, tech stuff that I felt like yeah, they yeah. could have done more to help. Yeah. Agreed. But I will say I enjoyed how, like, the whole mess of different plots and characters come together at the end because it just goes off the rails. And we get another whole James Bond thing because the last um, Roger Moore Bond of You to a Kill, which was terrible, had a climactic fight in a blimp. Love a good blimp scene. <laughs> Don't get enough of them these days. I was like, where Whatever the hell happened to the where blimp? Where were they hiding these, this Nazi blimp? That blimp came out of nowhere, and I loved it, because I didn't know who it was there for, and I was like, is this Cliff's backup? Or <laughs> <laughs> it's the, who needs a jetpack when you have a blimp? Uh, I also are... feel like the blimp, there. that's been in other things that it was like a Nazi's blimp. Yeah. No, there definitely was, because that's that was the, that was the golden era of the blimp. You know, Zeppelins were the shit. Everybody wanted one. Uh, but, answering your question, as of 2021, do you know how many blimps are in existence? This is a good trivia question. It really is. Can you give me, like... Is it more or less than 100? It's less. Okay. I'm gonna say... Seven. 25. Okay. But only half of those are still being actively used for advertising purposes. We still got the direct TV blimp, the MetLife blimp. Blimp, blimp, blimp. Yeah, I don't know. They fell out of fashion. Well, they like blow up. Well, not anymore. But yeah, not a, not a good look. I mean, look, it was just, it was the one. You know, it looked really bad for all the other blimps out there. What about this one? Okay, this one too. And the one in James Bond. Okay. Uh, yeah, so we just get this insane shootout between the FBI, the Nazis, <laughs> the gangsters who 
don't want to work with the Nazis because Eddie has morals. He's an American. I really enjoyed that. He didn't that. say he had morals. He said, I'm an American. Yes. Well, maybe not morals, more of a line that he won't cross, which this is also something Loyalty. that I, there's like a thing in the comics, there's a DC Marvel crossover where the Joker won't work with Red Skull because he's a Nazi, which I just find very funny. Just the fact that they had to clarify, no, he's evil. We have he's a not line. Nazi evil, it's different. But uh, I know that, like, I agree with you. The, the Jenny thing was terrible. And that the scene where she's like, oh, is preceded by a line where he's like, I'm the rocketeer. And she's like, who? I like, love that I'm she busy. doesn't know. Yeah, she's was, like, I've been working. I was like, enjoyed it on its own. I was also like, this is a Star Lord moment. <laughs> I'm the rocketeer, man. Like, who? It doesn't seem like he's been around long enough to have a reputation. But I don't know how much time is supposed to have passed. It's like been two days. That's what it feels like, but it's I'm literally if only it's... two days. Okay, then that is clearly, you know, if you're not reading the paper all the time, how are you supposed to know? Timothy Dalton said, "I don't want my rocketeer, my rocket next week or next month. I want it now." Right, right, right. And uh, we made a face at each other at the climactic shootout when this whole Nazi army comes running out oh, yeah. of nowhere. I've already forgotten about that. Because I was like, like dog whistles and then there's like a whole secret Nazi army in L.A. Because I was like, OK, I get it. Like we have this the standoff here, but we only have one Nazi. So we're missing part of the equation. But I get the movie plot, but like LA is a bad backdrop for this movie. Yeah. Oh, that at that point I was waiting for everyone to run off screen blazing saddles style and like cut <laughs> through the just cloth. Break the fourth wall. <laughs> exactly. Just fuck it. Yeah. No, that it, they they could have done that at any minute and it would not have been surprising at all. It would have been a perfect fit. So I didn't dislike it as much as I made it seem in the beginning, but it definitely immediately left like a not great taste in my mouth. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like, I don't even really know what to compare this to, but I'll... I think I wish they had committed to a something. Yeah. Like a, yeah, like it felt, a consistent theme. Felt I a guess, little, or... little wishy-washy. And, you know, I, I think, like, this is enjoyable, like, kind of just seeing it, like, viewing it as something from the 90s, like, trying to do its own thing. Obviously, it didn't do it that well, and it didn't make a lot of money, but I would be curious to see, like, a reinterpretation of this. Even if it's not, like, a remake of the movie, necessarily like just, just like, using a character. Yeah, it's, like, it's yeah. in the 30s, and, because I think, like, Captain America did such a good job of being, like, a period piece, and how it incorporated all that stuff, even though it was, you know, it was still at the end of the day shot like a Marvel movie. Um, it obviously had a much higher budget and <laughs> better actors. So I, I would be curious to see what they would do with it now. I also like the design of the helmet. It's like super weird. And the thing that I read about the Disney CEO, he just wanted to make it into like a NASA astronaut helmet. That would have been terrible. This is way cooler. So I have 
Just a couple little trivia facts before we wrap it up. The first one, which we actually talked about uh, during the movie, was that Jennifer Connelly is married to Paul Bettany and voiced Karen, the suit's AI, in Spider-Man Homecoming. Didn't know she was married to Paul Bettany. Yeah, they have three kids together. Thanks, Wikipedia. She was also in Just Slot That Into, and Bradley Cooper does her dirty. It's not a good look. That's unfortunate. Yeah. Who would do her dirty? Bradley Cooper. Not Paul Bettany. And uh, I had forgotten that, like, you know, I saw that she was in Spider-Man Homecoming, but she's not in Far From Home. Because the suit that has the AI in it gets blown up. But even before that, she's not doing any voice stuff. I wonder why they kept it to one movie. Uh, and then the only other piece of trivia that I have, besides the, I had the Hollywood Land one listed in here, was that a one of the gangsters at the club asks Spanish another guy, Johnny. That was weird. It might have been Spanish Johnny. He asks a guy to make him a bromo. Oh yeah. Which is an antacid, Alka Seltzer type drink. That was produced in Baltimore. And oh, in the Bromo district. If, yeah, and if you if you don't know that about us, we both went to University of Maryland, Baltimore County, and I took a class that was directly involved in that area of Baltimore. So the company that made Bromo had a big clock tower called the Bromo Seltzer Tower. It used to have the logo on it, and that is still standing, and it now houses art studios. And what happened to the seltzer? Uh, it's gone. That does not exist anymore. And they had to take the sign down because they thought it was going to fall off and kill somebody. But the tower remains. Wow, I did not know that. I mean, I remember that drink. I thought it was Timothy Dalton that asked for it. It, it may have been, actually. I kind of lost track. I don't track, know. But... I But I do know that somebody asked for that, for sure. Okay, well, what was your favorite scene from this movie? Hmm. Um, I would... Actually, let me think. Also, I just wanted to shout out Alan Arkin because... Yeah, we didn't talk about him. I really enjoyed him and his presence, and I think he looks weird with hair. <laughs> he does. It doesn't look like him. Yeah, he was he was a delightful like side character. I really liked their little antics when they first found the racket and they steal that statue and then they put it on the statue. I was like, that was very clever. Yeah. Um, and like when he goes to pick him up in the truck. I had a note about that that I forgot. I was like, he must have been hauling ass in that truck because as soon as he crashed, he was right there and he was flying. He was really flying. I liked, I'm just going to say like the whole climax with the nazi army coming out and then on the blimp because i like the scene where timothy dalton is like we have the best pilot that germany has to offer and he gets immediately blown out the side i was just enjoying i was like okay go big like you could have done this before and it would have been very entertaining it was yeah, just they like, jumped the shark in the movie yeah which is fine like I'm not judging this movie for doing any shark jumping uh in terms of powers I don't really have that. It's just one. Pack. Do you want the jetpack? Um, I no. I don't think I would use it. No. Seems like a huge liability, and 
Look what happened to Tim. I think I could only fly over water at like five miles per hour. Otherwise, I'd be too scared. I mean, there was a at the end. There was a piece of gum holding it together. Yeah, not not so good. Not the kind of structural integrity that I'm looking for with something filled with alcohol set it on fire strapped to my back. Yeah. So probably not. I would say nah. No. You know, if they could prove its safety, maybe I'd give it a shot. But uh, if that's the only power, I I could take it or leave it. And in terms of matchups, this guy is not doing fighting. This guy could not go against anybody that we've seen in our other movies or shows he, so like, far. Punched one FBI guy. Um, we'll let him fight Falcon, aka Captain America. No, he would be destroyed. It's the, it's the only it's the only one I can think of. Two flyers that neither of them have super strength. Obviously Sam would kick his ass. But I'm just thinking about somebody that would not instantly kill him. I feel like that's disrespectful to Sam. He was getting his butt kicked in Falcon the Winter Soldier, okay? By a super soldier. No, he was getting... He got beat up by everybody in that show. By super soldiers. No, the the Batroc guy threw a chair at him. Who? The martial artist guy, the French guy that was working for the power broker. Yes, but he got him. He beat him. Yeah. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. No, he, he bailed out. He like threw the shield at him and then he left. And then he didn't show up again. But I digress. He could not fight anybody. No. Nobody in this movie. Sorry, sorry guys. You just, <laughs> you don't have the, you don't have what it takes. You already did the matchup with like Howard Stark and. I think that's enough. Howard Hughes versus Howard Stark. You know who he can fight? Um, what's her name? Darcy. <laughs> Okay, yeah, I'd like to see that. (laughs) The crossover that nobody wanted and nobody needs. Uh, Well, this has been an interesting, to say the least, veer out of our normal territory. And even though this one might not have been uh, A+, we are excited to watch some more uh, older or less known films that are out of our normal franchises. And if any of you listeners out there have any suggestions for us, Please let us know. In the meantime, we are out Out of of the the superverse. superverse.